Hi, and welcome to Time Extend episode 14 here. It's Adam Ismail as always. I am joined today with the wonderful... Brendan Rorison, and today we'll be discussing a few topics. Some could be considered news, I guess, but um, we're going to be kind of uh, freewheeling it as we called our last episode of this type free practice, isn't it, Adam? We're just going to have some off-the-riff discussions in the start of the new year to bring in 2019 with a bang, hopefully. Yeah, a lot of our previous episodes were kind of uh, designed around, like, you know, we, we just had the big Ridge Racer list, right? And, you know, older Dreamcast Let's Plays, essentially. So we're going to try and get caught up with 2019, start the year off on a, on a current sort of uh, tangent, because... If you haven't noticed lately, um, we've we've tried to move away from the news and then features sort of organization of the podcast that we did throughout the first, I don't know, probably like 10 episodes, just because it didn't seem like it was fostering like the most interesting discussion. So we're going to use this week to get caught up with everything, and then don't worry, we'll be straight back into talking about some esoteric Dreamcast racing game you probably forgot about 20 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, this new format is just going to suit the new year a lot better because we we like to look enthusiastic for everything to do with the recent genre, but there are definitely topics that we, we feel as if we can have better discussions in, so hopefully the, the free listeners that we have don't mind the change in focus. Right, and I mean, the first topic we're going to talk about today is something that has been brewing for a very, very, very long time, because you have made a point of making sure that you mention it every single episode since we started. <laughs> well, somebody's got to. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast after all. It was, it was only for V-Rally 4, and the Switch version finally came out. Woo, it's still not out in the US, I don't think. I think it oh, comes out yeah. in a couple weeks, yeah. It's just a bit unfortunate for you American folk then that you don't get to harness the incredible nature of V-Rally 4. But um, I'll try not to rub it in too much. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, it's a funny story about this, actually. Uh, it did come out roughly the second week of December, and I was like, I might pick this up purely because it's been such a joke on the podcast. Um, and I was waiting for any reason to. And then, of course, Adam, you popped up my Facebook messenger, like, oh, I didn't realise V-Rally wasn't coming out till February in the US uh, I, I kind of felt that nudge in the back like you need to buy this so we can discuss it in the podcast <laughs> and I had been waiting for that push so yeah I actually bought the digital version for £45 oh my god <laughs> I just feel guilty now I mean it wasn't even me let's be honest you were you, you knew what was coming <laughs> you knew that you were yeah, on this exactly. road and, and this is where it was going to take you but I mean from what you've told me it sounds like the game's kind of okay yeah, um, we should just jump right in with the impressions then. I would say that V-Rally 4 is probably um, the type of racing game you'd love to see at the launch of a console. It's pretty much the definition of a, a 7 out of 10 rally game at its best, and a 6 out of 10 at its worst. It's a fairly consistent, decent rally game, and that will sound boring to the likes of PlayStation and Xbox owners that have had the chance to play Dirt Rally and... Uh, Dirt 4 WRC 7 but um, I, I can't quite believe that in my opinion this is the first competent semi-realistic uh, racing game we've got on Switch and it is pretty good to be honest yeah well it's competition is Gear Club which some people like but I've reviewed both <laughs> Gear Clubs for the for the Switch and I 
you know, for GT Planet, and I cannot understand uh, what, what if anything, makes them redeeming. So, yeah, the, the, the bar is very low, but yeah. at the same time, uh, you know, it's it's like you have V Rally Four, which does enough things right to kind of pass for when you really want to play a racing game and you've got nothing else at your disposal. So that's pretty cool in and of itself. Yeah, um, the thing I like about the game is it's pretty much the perfectly downscaled port. They didn't use any fancy tricks to make the Switch version run particularly well or remove any features, which is something weird. You always see Nintendo games that companies remove features and almost act as if it's an accessibility feature. This is pretty much a case of this is how it looks on PS4. The PS4 version pretty much looked like a PS3 game with slightly higher textures. <laughs> and um, they've just downscaled it for the Switch. And I've posted a few videos on my Twitter account about how strange the game can look at times because, like, there's trees in the backgrounds of some of the, the tracks and they look absolutely god awful, like origami <laughs> stuff. But, <laughs> but, like, the weird thing is, then there's, like, um, sun reflections on muddy ground when there's been rain and uh, there's like birds flying overhead and stuff so there's this like, weird kind of atmosphere of they wanted to cram and everything environmental about the game but they weren't particularly bothered about making it look nice so it kind of gives this weird vibe of uh, it feels like a Vita game and that is really mm. a compliment because yeah. I mean it in the sense of um, PlayStation owners have always been obsessed with having like, home versions of, sorry, handheld versions of home games, and this is what this feels like. A case of, look, we can do this, rather than um, an example you said, Adam, like Fast RMX on the Switch, where the developers are looking at what the hardware can do and trying to maximise that. This is very much a case of get it in a shippable condition and put it on the shelves. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's certainly not a lazy thing. I don't like using that term. It's just a case of it definitely feels like an inferior port of a game that we've just described as a 7 out of 10 at its best. So (laughs) make no mistake, if you're absolutely desperate for a a competent racing game, I do think V-Rally delivers. However, if you're ever tasked with selling anybody on this game, I'm afraid that that isn't possible, really, if, if somebody has played any other rally game in the past five years. Yeah, it sounds like you take a game like... I mean, I'm, I'm not comparing the console, the full console PS4 version of V-Rally 4 to Forza Horizon 4. But I'm imagining if you took Forza Horizon 4 and then you somehow found a way to lower the settings like beyond <laughs> the lowest possible level. And yeah. based on what I've seen, I mean... Like, in your videos, yeah, it, it does look like the full game, but then they made a lot of very, very strong concessions to things like the way that the shadows load, for example. So you're driving, and, like, oh. 20 feet in front of you is a point where, like, all of the LOD pop-in happens, but it's also the point where, like, the shadows actually, like, the real-time <laughs> shadows generate. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty... It's a pretty rough-around-the-edges-looking port, but as you say, it's kind of the only way that a game like this will end up on the Switch, because unfortunately, it's just not a haven for racing games, so... Better this than nothing, I suppose. And the thing is, as well, like, I don't mean this in a totally negative light, but... 
nobody really gives a shit about virally at its best on PlayStation 4 and Xbox. So, can you really blame uh, Kyloton for making this kind of port rather than one with a lot of care into it? Because the the fact of the matter is, it's probably going to sell as much if it ran at 10 frames per second or if it ran at 60, and that is the sad matter of fact that the Switch isn't a haven for racing games. And V-Rally isn't suddenly going to transform that. But one of the things that I really don't have time for is, like, I was looking up reviews of the game um, by the like, four or five Nintendo fan sites that reviewed it. And it's honestly like looking at a game review from like, 2010 or something where it's losing points because it doesn't have a rewind feature uh, oh. because it's difficult. Um, because uh, <laughs> there's just all these weird arbitrary things that makes you realise why F-Zero isn't a thing anymore. Just yeah. like this weird, like, oh, V-Rally should accommodate for my lack of ability when the whole point of Rally is to get fucked up. Like, that, that's kind of why we play it. We enjoy getting, like, the, we enjoy getting messed over by the environmental dangers and accidentally misreading a corner. And yeah, it just feels like if the game was going to have any sort of success as well, it needed to have um, the kind of community that solely play Switch games, kind of welcome it and see its effort. But there was one site I seen that rated Gear Club 2 higher, and Oof. that kind of sums it up, the sense that we we really haven't got the type of audience on Switch for V-Rally, and we certainly don't have anybody who's going to champion it outside of a few small YouTubers who put in a lot more effort into their reviews than some of the bigger sites. Yeah, and uh, just as a quick side note, the whole point of rally to get is to get fucked up is my favorite little John <laughs> lyric. <laughs> um, I love but it. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, this is one of those situations I think where it's on the console that unfortunately there's just there's not much interest in those kinds of games. So the only sites that will review it are the ones that basically review every switch game because it comes out on the switch but then the switch isn't a place that you're going to find the game like v rally most of the time so it it is that journalism that you talked about a couple episodes ago yeah uh, definitely and i should i should definitely uh check out like one of the those youtube uh reviews that you mentioned because i i would like somewhat of a you know five minute 10 minute explainer on the game because i probably won't buy it but i'd like to see what i'm missing yeah, um, some of those videos basically explain in depth why somebody might be interested in the game, but there's also those caveats that you expect, and as as is this culture, as soon as um, somebody mentions that the frame rate might drop to 20 or 25, people in the comments are trashing Kyloton and mm. saying they didn't put in any effort, and the fact of the matter is, like, let's not, let's not paint a rosy picture of V-Rally's triumphant return. This almost seems like the stopgap until wherever WRC 8 is. And in that sense, I quite enjoy it because I don't know if I've ever actually talked about it properly in the podcast, but WRC 7 is actually my second favourite rally game this generation. I was blown away by it. And this almost feels like that, um, minus the Great Real World tracks and the official WRC roster. So it it's a good rally game. Um I'm going to be honest, I haven't touched the Rally Cross or the Jim Canna. I don't have time for that the kind of thing. Canna, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> <Extreme> <laughs> Canna. Um, 
that is V Rally Cross as well. That's there. <laughs> oh yeah, right. There's a lot of side things that I'm guessing don't run that well, purely based on what I've experienced in the regular rally. But yeah, V Rally Four is a, a competent rally game, which is kind of what anybody would have expected. That I don't think prior to release there was anything that particularly excited people anyway. So. I would say that it's good to see the Switch get a competent racer. Um, it's not good to see it try to retail for £45 plus one pack of DLC that's already out that's £6. Um, this is the Gear Club thing all over again, really. Um, I have no idea why, if it's on the Switch, it suddenly commands such a high price. And it'll be interesting to see if Codemasters do something similar with Grid Autosport, which is um, pretty much the one game I would say has the potential to do well, depending on how Codemasters approach it. To be honest, um, I know you like WRC 7, and I I haven't played one of the WRC licensed games since I think the fourth one, which was not made by the same studio as, as yeah. it is now, I think. That was like the cutoff where they moved. And I actually played WRC 4 in the Vita, and it was pretty good, but it was kind of like a situation, as you described with V-Rally 4, where it's just very clearly the console game, but they just like made a lot of like graphical and concessions to the performance and whatnot, which is fine. The game played well enough, but I will always dream of like a port that really just is optimized to take advantage of the system, and, and I know we probably will never get that. Um, but for that reason, like, I'm not, I wasn't really looking very forward to the next WRC game, but yeah, I think Grid Autosport actually has a chance, because, um, Feral Interactive, I think, is working on that, and they handle yep. a lot of, uh, yeah, they handle a lot of Codemasters ports to Mac, which is one of those things that, like, I, I don't understand why, like, there are companies that specialize in pouring games to the Mac, but my thought process is that if they do, then they're probably good at it, and they probably take what they do somewhat seriously, so I'm hoping that, you know, they they kind of take the same sort of ambition and and uh, care with the Switch port, because Grid Autosport was unfortunately one of those games that came out right at a time when absolutely nobody was going to play it, <laughs> even yeah, though... Yeah. <laughs> Even though, like, what limited time I've had with the game has been somewhat pleasant. It just came out at absolutely the wrong point in time. Yeah, it seemed like a strange decision at the time to release it on previous generation hardware. So, um, and the Switch now will get a chance to play it on a more modern console. But, I mean, Feral also did the iOS port of the game. So, um, I'd put my smart money on the Switch version being based off of that. That right, isn't necessarily right. a full negative, it's just, um, I think we just need to set that expectancy that th there will be a port of Grid Autosport, whether it takes full advantage of the Switch remains to be seen, Yeah. but I wouldn't be surprised if it's based off the iOS version. But like I said, that isn't necessarily a negative, because it kind of bypasses this issue we're talking about with V-Rally, where the developer just wanted to make a, a kind of more compact version of the game, technically, that's still ticked all the boxes so I don't want to talk about V-Rally too long because um, <laughs> it, it's it's fine it, it's fine like it's definitely a £15, £20 purchase and if we're going to be honest I would have never paid that amount for the game on PS4 and Xbox mm. so I, I am one of those people with the problem in the sense that 
um, when you see something like this on the Switch, it almost feels like a, a compulsion to support it. But um, I, I'll be I'll be surprised still, even at this point, if WRC releases on the Switch. Um, I think the Virale port was almost an experiment, and um, it's not exactly set the world on fire, but it never it was never going to really. Right. Well, I can at least say for myself, if it handles better than Gear Club, uh, that puts it on my radar because Gear Club was just a horrendously awful experience. <laughs> yeah, the gameplay is great. I, I really enjoy the driving the cars. There's a good selection here. There's a a few kind of um, car choices that people who played old rally games will be happy to see. Like you've got the old Renault Megane in here, and uh, the Lancia Stratos, of course. And then there's even some other cool ones like a BMW 3 Series Pikes Peak car. So there's oh, wow. there's there's a there's a good selection of vehicles, but it just comes down to how highly do you um, value the, the portability aspect because the game is already cheaper on more powerful platforms. But yeah, I think to sum it up, um, it's definitely as seven out of ten as we imagined it was going to be. Fair play to the developers for getting it out before 2019. I think I said in a previous podcast that was the cut-off point for anybody caring for it. <laughs> was making it out before the end of the year. They did that for one region, <laughs> so it's half yeah. kudos. Um, and, and it was the most important yeah. region, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, the US are going to be lining up to buy V-Rally on Switch, but it's a competent... Uh, well-made rally game that's been shrunk as much as possible to fit on inferior hardware so um, yeah V-Rally 4, if, if you really want a, a portable rally experience that's at least competent and actually features some nice cars and locations to race on um, there's really, the Japan track is one of my favourites, it's really good um, yeah, if you're looking for something to race on on the Switch and that's your only option then I think you could do a lot worse with V-Rally because don't ever give money to Eden Games and Gear Club. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. You, you know how many 60 second loads I had to sit through to review that game? Oh god. Just to, just to enter a race. With those oh. shitty sound effects for the, the traffic lights at the start of the race. I nearly turned the game off when that happened. That's when you know there's just a lack of effort. Like It's that kind of tinny restart noise Ugh, awful it's like the opposite of Gran Turismo it's like perfect James I have never seen less effort put into a game that originally started as a mobile game was poured to a console like it's just it, oh and again you don't like calling developers lazy but it's like all I have to go by is what is in front of me and what is in front of me absolutely exhibits zero ambition whatsoever <laughs> Like, just yeah. no love, care, or attention put into getting this right, or even fixing any of the mistakes from the previous game. But I, yeah, I don't want to talk about Gear Club. It's not worth it. They don't deserve the publicity. Right. So, yeah, well, I mean, now you've piqued my interest, I do want to try it out. <laughs>
I'll tell you what else came out on the Switch. And this is definitely in Time Extends Wheelhouse. Oh Sega Ages Outrun uh, came yeah. out on the 10th. And it's awesome! Oh, it's so, so good. Like, I don't know how many times I'm going to buy Outrun before I die, but each version seems better than the last, and this is a fantastic Yeah, there have been some pretty bad versions of Outrun in the past. Like, I think most of them never made it out of Japan, or they did make it out of Japan, but on, like, weird compilations. Like, uh, that weird 3D one that was on the uh, PS2, the Sega Classics collection. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing about that one was it was on the same disc as an, a pretty decent virtual racing port. Like, yeah, the virtual racing was good. I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, it was all right. I mean, it's the best port of the game that we have until uh, M2 comes out with their Sega Ages version later in the year, hopefully. But yeah, uh, Sega Ages Outrun, uh, it's funny. I spent the entire last week at CES, and it was my first time at CES, and it was absolutely crazy. But come uh, whatever day it was, I think it was like Thursday, and uh, an outrun came out on the Switch, I was able to get on my hotel Wi-Fi, download it. It was like my last day of working at CES and just unwind with some outrun <laughs> and then play it on the way home. And it's great. I mean, I, I've i talked about on the podcast before, I think that like because of my age, I I don't have much of an affinity for the old sprite scaler racing games. They just like I just find them too difficult to play because of the way that like the horizon pops in and yeah. just that you're kind of on rails and I feel like you're not given full control. Um but that said, I mean, being a huge Sega fan, Outrun is kind of like the genesis of everything. And because the music's so good, because the art direction is so good, because it's like you know, it's it's as difficult a game as you want it to be. Like, if you want to try and finish in the fastest time and, and get a really high score, you can do that if you want to go for the hardest route. Or you can just kind of take it easy, because the whole idea of OutRun is that it's not, strictly speaking, a racing game. Uh, it's a driving game. So that makes it a good fit for the Switch, and m2's job of porting it is incredible i am constantly in awe every single time they take one of sega's old games and then they give it like the the polish and the level of care that it deserves and they've done it again with outrun yeah um i've started to notice because m2 are so good people are starting to take for granted the work they do i've seen a lot of complaints about outrun being one of the the kind of first sega ages games you could see and the, the selection and um if, if you want to realise how good M2's work is, try playing the Sega Mega Drive collection that was released on Switch mm-hmm. just last month. And that's officially from Sega, so every time we get a perfect version of Outrun, uh, one of the Time Extend hosts feels very happy, so just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, every time we get a good version of Outrun, a Time Extend host cries a, a tear of joy. <laughs> but... but- yeah, it's such a good uh, port, and you were talking about the fact that it's a driving game, and that's something that I think a lot of people kind of forget. That, like, if you've never played Outrun before and you play it at first, you might assume it's a racing game, but put that to the back of your mind and just enjoy the drive. It sounds weird saying that about a game that is, um, by technical terms, outdated, but Outrun is just like you were saying the art direction is phenomenal and with this M2 port there's loads of good accessibility options as well so you can uh, give yourself more time on each between each checkpoint and lower the difficulty 
and the, the, there's a lot of options here outside of the main game and you've, of course you've got the leaderboards and that type of thing there's a very um, addictive loop in OutRun and this version is uh, pretty much top tier it is very addictive and I have to say that it's like the first time I've ever played OutRun and really like really paid attention to it and really played it over and over again and, and given it like the attention it deserves most of my previous experiences with outrun have been like uh you know playing outrun 2 and unlocking the original outrun i think was something you could do in that game if i remember correctly yeah I, yeah i think so yeah and then once you've done that like you know i i played it a little bit and then you know i played it for maybe like five minutes and i never picked it up again and then i come across some sega you know a mega drive or a genesis collection or something like that and i play it again for a couple of minutes i put it down it's just like that's the problem with those games is that doesn't they don't ever really hold my attention but because the sega ages outrun port is so you know it's so simple it's just outrun you spend seven dollars on it and you get you know one of the most influential arcade races of all time in a, in a really polished and well-done port, it's like, you don't have much of a choice. It's like, no, you have to play this game and see it through and, and kind of explore all of its little intricacies and stuff. And M2 has done a lot of work to uh, make the game, I wouldn't say more accessible, but kind of get get rid of some of the more annoying aspects of it um yeah like they have they have like an old basically version of the track and a new version of the track which rearranges of some of the locations which i think rearranges them by difficulty but i might be wrong on that i think that i think that is kind of roughly i mean it's it's very minor tweaks but that's the kind of i that's the kind of um the way i've seen it as well gives it a bit more of a unpredictability element um com- when you compare the two, one of them is definitely um, ordered in such a way that each each new stage is more difficult. So if that's the kind of progression you're looking for, then it's good that the new setup there as well as the old one. Yeah, so you get that, and then they also have these like little secrets and, and changes you can make to the gameplay. Like, the first time I finished a stage, I unlocked uh, the power-up that I love that's just called Steering Wheel. And <laughs> and and what it does is it gives you more grip, but it's actually funny that like and and this is going to be another occasion where uh, this podcast has made me constantly like reflective and like self conscious of the fact that I'm not very good at a lot of racing games, even though <laughs> even though like racing games are like all I play in my whole life, and like I'm not that good at Outrun, but with the steering wheel on it gives you more grip when you're right at the edge because like an outrun normally when you're going through a corner it's just like a very linear thing of just like your you know your steering angle widens like you just naturally move to the outside of the track and it's just one of those get things to make the game more difficult but and and that would be fine if it was really easy to see what was coming but because it's you know a sprite scale eraser the horizon is very shallow you can't always see what's coming all you have to go on are those you know turning boards and those signs so the steering wheel does help you i would say explore like sections of the of the world that you maybe aren't so comfortable with before you've memorized them so that you're not constantly just flying off the track every time you encounter <laughs> a slightly tight corner um yeah. and and that's good and i love that they have all the different options for like uh different you know graphical ways you can play the game there's a they have redone it so it's in full 16 by 9 if you choose to play it that way, which, I mean, you should because the 4 by 3 mode is 
Um, not only is a four by three, but it's like four by three inset inside of like a border, which like is, <laughs> yeah. it's very cool from like a nostalgic standpoint because they give you like the out, the sides of like the outrun arcade cabinet, but it's a very small window to play the game in. But I love that they do that. And I love that they have, um, uh, like scanline filters, which look very good and smoothing filters with the scanline filters, a very good way to play the game. So yeah, it's just like. I just want them to do every single port. People always complain about the fact that there's no virtual console on the Switch, which is something I sympathize with, but the thing that people don't tend to remember is that, like, when, you know, Nintendo was just working with Sega and Capcom and Konami and all these companies just for them to throw their ROMs onto a virtual console back in the day, you weren't yeah. getting, like, lovingly made ports. You were just getting these ROMs that were just, like, gathering dust on some hard drive someplace and then they're tossed onto the Wii. And it's like, well, now if you spend a little bit more money, you get like the best possible version of that game because companies like Sega are realizing, publishers are realizing like, hey, the Switch has a very strong retro following and it's a perfect place to do that. So if you spend a little bit more money, you can get a version that's like way better than some like kind of, you know, churned out port that doesn't doesn't really do justice to the original source material. Yeah, and th- that is more and more common. Like, like I brought up earlier, Sega's own Mega Drive collection on Switch is full of input lag and imperfect emulation, but with M2 it's the complete opposite. You're getting pretty much perfect emulation and um, even new soundtracks. Like We've got a Driver's Mega Mix in this game and that's like a kind of synthwave version of a, like three of the outrun tracks that plays while you drive and it's brilliant yep. and that and it just captures the spirit of the game perfectly so does the uh, the arcade remix of radiation is it yeah the radiation radiation yeah. right and then you have the two tracks from uh the 3d outrun uh release on the 3ds cruising line and camino of uh, mia more which are both really good and one yep. thing i love about the way they approach this is that if you notice all of the regular tracks when you're when you're selecting a song in the game before you start playing it you see the driver turn the knob to go to a different radio station that yeah. reflects that those are the songs that are actually like were made with the hardware that would have been available on the time on the Sega arcade board because then when you go to the the driver's mega mix for example he pulls out a, a cassette tape and yes. that is supposed to signal <laughs> that is supposed to signal that it's more of like a a rearrangement um, done that doesn't necessarily correspond to the technical limitations of the original Outward arcade board. So that is what you're dealing with here. That is how devoted M2 is to the craft of being as as accurate as possible, but then as the same at the same time recognizing that people today who are buying Outrun for the 90th time want more, and so they give you that as well, and it's just the best possible outcome. Yeah, exactly. We've talked about it before as well, but the, the two tracks that came from the 3DS version, M2 are that obsessed that they, they tried to perfectly replicate that sound chip that was in the original Outrun machines, and you can really tell. Um, if, if you've never played Outrun before, or never heard any of the music, if that's possible, it's very possible that you would assume those two tracks were actually part of the original. That's the amount of effort M2 put in, and I will always give them the, the six pounds or seven dollars that they ask for for these types of games. And you know, it's not a racing game, but I would love to see them uh, get their hands on Sonic Three Knuckles. It's a game yeah. that 
it gets released less and less nowadays, apparently because of the whole Michael Jackson licensing thing. But um, yeah, you don't see that game very often at all. And I can only imagine if like M2 teamed up with Christian Whitehead and they mm. they created like the perfect version of Sonic Three Knuckles. That's the kind of that's the kind of trust I have in M2. Like you can take pretty much any of my favourite Sega games at this point, and I'm I'm pretty certain they would do it justice. Absolutely, and. I can't stress enough that that those two songs for 3D Outrun, which is a game that I didn't play because I didn't have a 3DS, but you told me probably back on like the third episode that they recorded, yeah. they did new <laughs> tracks for that game, and and I had no idea, so I listened to them, and I know you really like Camino, I really like Cruising Line, they're both so good, you would never know that they they're new, you know, that's how well they fit, and. Um, it actually got me thinking, like, I'd love to see Outrun representation in Super Smash Brothers, because I came up with oh, some great man. ideas. Like, I was on the on my plane home from Vegas, I was thinking about this, like, in, intensely. So, like, they could have all the songs, obviously, that'd be great. But I was thinking of a stage, and the way the stage would work, essentially, is, like, picture you're, you know, you're moving as if you were driving, but you're not actually driving. Like, all of the, the players are basically on, like, the 2D plane, but the world is still yeah. moving. So, you don't have to worry about, like, you're not moving up and, or, uh, on, on, like, the Y axis, or on the Z axis, because you don't do that in Smash. But you're just moving through the world. And then when you get to a junction, the the level will signal whether you're going to go left or right and you have a certain amount of time to get on the right side of the screen oh, and if you don't you will die that sounds amazing and i was like that would be perfect <laughs> like i just thought up an amazing you know outrun level uh, in smash you've, so. a- you've actually made me think of what could be a good discussion maybe if it's us two and a guest or something but like we talked uh, one of the first episodes about the perfect kind of Sega transformed racing game, but what if we just had like a Smash Brothers for racing games where you had to pick a roster of like 15 cars and uh, tracks from different games, so you've got like Grand Valley from Gran Turismo in there and Desert from Sega Rally, just create like the perfect um, homage like Smash Brothers is, but for racing games, I think that could be a really fun discussion. That all sounds great and, and we'll definitely do that. Um... Yeah, we're, we're definitely trying to get a lot more guests on the show this year, and this uh, episode also marks uh, our beginning of uh, posting episodes to the GT Plant blog as well, so um, we hope to work with those guys more, and and yeah, I feel like that would definitely be a great discussion, because all the people that would be on the show would come from like so many different histories of like the games that they want to add, and like, yeah. <laughs> like you would probably throw in a track from shocks and i have no idea what that would be but you'd convince me that it's worthwhile so temple to me temple to temple, temple to. sure great it's, it's a good one uh as, as a quick aside i was i was uh angrily tweeting about this all day and i know i made a fool out of myself um to to some uh very lovely great people who support our show and are have become good friends but um uh out all the week for because this was the first day of the detroit all show they were doing like a ranking basically like a, a twitter style like bracket uh poll of like the best racing games of all time and they had the first uh bracket was like grand Turismo 2 versus super mario kart and then the other bracket was pole position versus F0X. Or sorry, F0, not F0X, just F0. 
And in both occasions, the game I voted for was losing, and I'm just like, I don't... <laughs> I have no faith in the world. Like, come on, people. I take it pole position was winning because of that incredible advert. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a good ad, but... And you know what? Pole position actually, like... I Look, I'm sorry. I've, like, maybe never played pole position. I maybe played it on, like, a cell phone once. It's just not a game that, like, I guess if I if I ever had any of those Namco museum collections, I would have played it, but it's just not a game that I ever encounter. And when I think of, like, a sprite scaler, like, like that was, like, the original, like, 3D perspective racing game, which is great, but then I think of, like, well, why wouldn't I play OutRun? Or why wouldn't I play, I don't know, Top Gear? Or, like, <laughs> anything that came after that. Yeah. But, yeah. And then, like, Grand Tours... But that one, I was like, okay. Like, you know, because... Pole position isn't the best racing game of that era, but then and F Zero is great because I love the music, but like I don't really ever want to go back and play the original F Zero. So I could I could see that, but I was really offended when I saw Super Mario Kart beating even by just the margin Gran Turismo Two. I was like, you people have no idea what you're talking about. I'm pretty sure we've told everybody before the only acceptable Mario Kart game to consider one of the best is Mario Kart Eight. Anything prior to that point has been better than I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody disagrees with that, we we have proved it through science. I mean, I, I haven't played <laughs> I haven't played Seven because again I didn't have a 3DS, but that one probably is high up there, right? Yeah, Seven is like the, the V Rally Four. It's just, just like <laughs> it's just uh, it's it's a good Mario Kart game that doesn't really do anything. It did introduce the the hang glider and swimming mechanics but I mean they're so they're such non-entities and eight you can imagine how unexcitable they were on the 3DS but I mean I say that I, I played Mario Kart 7 for about 400 hours so <laughs> I, I did enjoy it but it's it's pretty much there would be no reason to go back and play 7 if you have 8 and you'd yeah. be no reason to play 8 if you've got Deluxe we're in a kind of I mean, a bit of a you, rut right now you have to give <laughs> I'm, but, but seriously like you should give Nintendo like I don't mean it to be a criticism because like every Mario Kart almost every Mario Kart has been better than the one before it so like you know 64 obviously like we're in 3D now that's better than Super Mario Kart and then like I, I go back and forth on Double Dash. Some people really like it. I think it's gimmicky, but you can make an argument for that. The lone exception to the not being better than the one before it is the Wii, because Mario Kart Wii was pretty awful. But DS was great, so, you know, they definitely find a way to improve it every single time, which is why I don't know how you could say I want to go back and play Super Mario Kart. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly, except out of nostalgia, pretty yeah. much. That that would be the only factor, but... Um, and then yeah, it's just, like, I'm not just... even allowed to say that because, like, I'm the most nostalgic person on the world, in the world, which is why I'm oh, like, we both on are. the show, so... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's alright when it... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If it's anything else... Other well, people's guys. nostalgia is not cool. <laughs> the only acceptable nostalgia is mine. Yep, that, that about sums it up. I think we're doing the Angry Gamer trope pretty well here. Yeah. Um, but uh, just for anybody's doubt, the correct tier list is uh, you're allowed to play Crash Team Racing, Sonic Transformed, and Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. If you're choosing to play any other games outside of that three, then you're giving yourself an inferior experience. You know what that we're is... going to do? <laughs> we're going to do an episode where you get me the love Crash Team Racing. And, ah, that sounds fun. Yeah, and I, I don't know. You can like lay out your case or something like that because... It, Admittedly, it's not fair that I don't like Crash Team Racing because the last time I played it was, I 
think probably 18 years ago so like i have no memory of that game except when i was a kid i didn't like it so i have to i have to play it again i mean maybe when they come out with the re-release but i don't also don't really want to spend money on it's also like a deep-seated like distaste for crash bandicoot as a character <laughs> That you don't like Spyro either, don't you know? I'm not. I'm not for the uh, the Sony the Sony mascots. They, they never did anything for me. But then you what? know what? People don't talk about enough is Diddy Kong Racing. Yeah, that that's actually a good shout because yeah. one of the reasons I like Crash Team Racing is because it's actually pretty similar to Diddy Kong Racing in terms of the story structure and stuff. So. Yep, I think Diddy Kong Racing is one that is often forgot about. There was actually a really good DS port that came out of yes. Diddy Kong Racing as well. And yep. I, I think a lot of people don't even know that exists, to be honest. Um, that was one of the weird games I decided to import, <laughs> even though it came out here eventually. But yeah, it's, Diddy Kong Racing is good. Yeah. So, uh, the last topic that we should probably go over because it was a big one that broke uh, over the holidays was the mad box which is slightly mad studios <laughs> i never thought i'd say the words launching their own console <laughs> these guys aim for the moon but you you've got to appreciate just how incredibly optimistic they are about what they do it's amazing to think that we're now talking about a situation where so like the Mad Studios want to launch their own console, and not only that, Ian Bell's going head to head with Soldier Boy on Twitter. Yes, that's also <laughs> that's also been very entertaining. I don't want to. I am I'm legitimately curious. Like I would love nothing more than to than to have Ian Bell on the show and and just talk about like what they're going for with this thing because. A lot of people are saying, like, oh, slightly SMS is going to go up against, like, Sony and Microsoft. I don't see it like that. Basically, what I'm picturing is a Steam box, but, like, a specialized Steam box with their name on it that, you know, maybe we'll get the next Project Cars before the PC does or something like that. Like, I <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine, like, a and, and I know Ian has said, like, he doesn't want this to be a closed-off console. He wants it, like, no exclusives, no, like... You know, nothing that would make it difficult to to put one game on this but not on the PC, and then they don't want to play the game of going up against those those two console makers, so I, I'm just conflicted. I don't really understand why they're doing this. I mean obviously I'm sure I'm sure that he would say that they don't have to, but I just wonder what got them to this point. Yeah, I, I want to know the, the thought process behind the decision to go with it because the open-ended nature sounds great, but it also gives that inherent second question of, so why would somebody buy it? The Steambox thing arguably hasn't taken the world by storm as much as maybe we would have thought three, four years ago, and it just seems like such a weird, um, a weird decision to enter the console market in this climate, where we've seen so many other consoles fall to the wayside or not make out the gates like that Atari thing did that ever come out they were making some sort of no I think I think they're still working on it well well there was the retro says the VCS oh yeah that was a different that was a different thing maybe but yeah I think the steam box like at its core is a pretty good idea because I feel like it's a way that you get people who 
only maybe you know play on consoles into the PC space like I think if it really caught on that would have been something I would have been interested in because I've never really played on PC I just have like how are they gonna make money off of it how are they gonna make enough of the damn thing how like it's so up in the air but they are so incredibly serious about it like at first at first I don't know if I thought it was a joke or if I thought it was just like some sort of like this is something we would love to do like five ten years from now but we haven't even like seriously had the conversations yet this it's just like early but like and i know it's still early i know they're still probably like two or three years away from release but like they they you know ian started tweeting renderings and asking people which rendering they like the most and clearly like he has a mastery of of the publicity cycle like he <laughs> he's been very he's been very smart about like just every couple of days just like putting something out there to, to stoke the interest and you know i think that's great but it's just such an unfathomable thing yeah i i was going to ces yeah. and i actually i was actually curious if i would see them there um <laughs> and uh i don't know i mean like i they weren't there this year but i have to imagine i might i might run into them next year or the year after that because they are clearly like full steam ahead oh yeah this is serious Ian said on the GT Planet forums that they've already had an order in from China, basically, mm. for X amount of Mad Boxes. Not sure how that transaction came about. Maybe that's something you can clear up for us on the pod. <laughs> um, but yeah, he says there's interest there, and I think that the thing is that one of the reasons why you think it might be a prank at certain stages is because, like you said, Ian's nature of. Uh, Likes having a laugh as well as being mm-hmm. a serious businessman. Um, one of kind of one of the first times I realised that was when um, somebody asked about the Wii U version of Project Cars, <laughs> and um, uh, basically Ian Bell just wrote like a sentence that said something like, "Are oh, we just don't like Nintendo fans?" And that was it. Yeah. Like, yep. <laughs> Nintendo news sites actually do reporting about yep. that, and um, it was funny. And I'm even seeing the same now. Somebody replied to the Madbox thing because. I, I don't get why people do this shit. They replied to the tweet and said, um, oh, um, can I have a free one to put on my streaming channel and shit? And then Ian just responded saying, yes. It's <laughs> just like, <laughs> is that a perfect response? Uh, that that guy great. has basically been told no, but because he said yes, there was blunt fashion. It's just, it's brilliant. And that's the thing, like, for every real bit of information, it's shrouded in mystery, like the Project Cars Revolution game that was teased yes. on the console. Like that just seems like the type of thing that Ian would love banning us up with, just setting us on the wrong trail to a game that maybe doesn't exist. But um, we we know there's going to be another Project Cars, and we know it's going to be different than the rest. So who knows? But take it from me the last game that I properly loved was Sega Rally Revolution and we know how that ended up so maybe not go with that subtitle <laughs> that's true Re- Revolution is I feel like it's a very loaded name for a game because it's our, it's either like you expect it to upend everything or it's like a really failed attempt at doing that and one way or the other usually someone out there isn't happy but I guess that goes for just <laughs> Games in general and and the world, but that's another story. Yeah, he he definitely has a a way uh, on Twitter, which is really funny. And, like, I I do admire his, like, going straight out to just say, like, not necessarily, like, 
go to a certain outlet. Like, even though I'm a journalist and I would love to get the story that they're launching a console, I like that he just puts on Twitter, like, it's a mad box, and everybody's like, what? <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, here it is. And they're like, what? And it just, everything. And he's, he's been doing it on GT Plant for a while, too. He, You know, he's been a member for a long time, and, and he'll talk to the community, and he'll just, like, make random announcements about the game, which, like, maybe, you know, to certain people seem like, uh, kind of like sort of small potatoes, but they actually shed light on like upcoming features and stuff like that. So he is a he is a man of the people, that's for sure. And I have to the one thing I will say is that I saw the latest design for the console, the one that had uh, Project Cars Revolution supposedly playing on it in that render. And I I do very much prefer that to the M. So thank you, slightly mad for for not making your system a giant leather because I. I wasn't liking that too much. <laughs> yeah, um, it was certainly ambitious, but this one has that like sleek, almost r- routerish look to it. Yeah, but um, like a cool router, like a rather yeah, that I, yeah, no. I would want to display because the M just <laughs> looked like uh, right, exactly. The M reminded me of if you can think way back uh, to when you were uh, a, a wee child and. They were coming out with the Xbox, and the rumor was that it was just going to be a big X. And <laughs> that seemed cool for about two seconds until you realize, like, where do I put this thing? How do I store it? What? How do I carry it? Like, why? How would this fit into my actual life? And no one would ever do anything like that again, so. You mean that the Xbox 720 wasn't real? <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> The Xbox 360 could have been a giant sphere. I guess it's good they didn't yeah. do that either. It's actually pretty funny. Like you think about all those fake renders of consoles and names. I always remember. Um, this is going to be such an obscure bit of trivia. But um, did you ever see the Hugh Jackman film Real Steel, where he's like fighting the big like, rock'em sock'em robots? It's almost no. like raw. So like, it, it's actually a, it's an alright film. But in one of the fights at the end in a huge arena, there's like an advertisement for Xbox in the background, and it clearly says Xbox 720. Mm. And it's one of those things where I always wonder if that was actually going to be considered the name for the Xbox One at some point, or it was just somebody having a laugh with Microsoft's permission. But yeah, it's you see all these fake video game consoles and stuff in TV shows, but that one always stuck out to me because it explicitly mentioned Xbox. I mean, I think it very much could have been a working title. Uh, something like that makes a lot of sense because I'm sure they had like probably nine different names of what they wanted to call the thing, and they chose the most boring one possible. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. Yeah. I remember when the 360 was like, it was, uh, th- there was some speculation it was going to be called there was the next was one of them and then uh or like the xbox next and then xenon but xenon may have just been like the code name uh, yeah i so remember that one that would have been cool in like a mid-2000s kind of way that would have aged horribly hey we ended up with a wii u anything better than that yeah, the, the, the wii u is, the, is i think just objectively the worst name of a console of all time well unless you count uh some of those weird ones that never left japan like the fm towns marty <laughs> that's incredible yeah. i would just love to have an episode looking at the most ridiculous like game names and console names throughout the years because there's been some ridiculous ones i also like the fact that during the playstation 2 era there was a time where loads of low budget racing games were getting made and mm-hmm. they weren't even trying to call them like original names or exciting names it'd just be like 
GTR racing sort of sounds like Gran Turismo or um, there was one that was in Europe I think it got renamed elsewhere and it was just like Viper Trail or something that made wow, it sound like an weird. adventure game yeah but there's oh god there's that whole generation of cheap uh, Midas I believe it was that published them racing games that were pretty poor yeah you're reminding me of a bunch of conversations I've had recently uh, one of which was on Twitter with a friend of the show Fernando and uh, he I got on the subject of like Beale Adventure Racing and then remembered that there was a game called HSV Adventure Racing, which is Beetle Adventure Racing, but for Australia. It's the exact same game, but they're like... And Beetle Adventure Racing is a fantastic game, but they decided what would be more fun-loving and just energetic and happy, you know, more than a Beetle. Oh, I got it. A holding Commodore. And that was phenomenal. That was really weird. And then... Uh, you ever hear the, the Xbox game Group S Challenge? Yes. Okay, this is a game that yep. I think this is the most forgotten... I have a theory this is the most forgotten racing game ever made because <laughs> I just... I never, ever... I think I'm the... I, for a long time, convinced myself I was the only person who knew anything about it. But in Japan, it was called Circus Drive. Circus Drive? Yeah. Wow. That, that puts across the point. <laughs> and... <laughs> Need for Speed for a long time was called Overdriving in Japan, which is really weird. What a weird change, yeah. Yeah. I, f- I think as well in the, the US, uh, V-Rally also went by Need for Speed V-Rally, didn't it? Yeah, there's an interesting thing. I I, I was, uh, I think I wrote an article for GT Planet a while back. It was, oh, it was on the Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2. And basically it was a, it was a mirror mode. And my kind of thesis for it if there was a thesis was just a need for speed all it is is just like a reflection of whatever the prevailing car culture is at the time so like in the early 2000s it was like supercars and or sorry in the early 90s to, or the mid mid to late 90s it was supercars and then in the early 2000s it was street racing so they became a street racing game and then about five or six years later they were like well the the brand of street racing that was cool back then like fast and furious one and two isn't cool anymore so now we have to go for this grittier thing so they did that and now you look at like the run and then like most recently with payback and it's like they're very much going for the action movie thing because that's what does well with like because i mean if you actually look at like how fast and furious started and where it is now and how need for speed started and where it is now it's like a parallel like they just follow that trend oh yeah definitely they they were pretty much identical for so and the weird thing is like um you brought up Need for Speed to Run, and that's one of those weird games that isn't quite held in high regard that I consider one of my favourite Need for Speeds, because it did the whole, like, stupid, over-the-top storyline about revenge, because it's always about revenge. Um, but it didn't hide behind, like, an open-world mechanic or something. It was just literally, like, here is a three-hour story mode. Yeah. <laughs> Loads of random races. And I don't know why, like in this weird 90s nostalgic way, I appreciated how straightforward that game was made. And the soundtrack as well was actually by Brian Tyler, who people will know now, who did the Formula One theme song. Wow, I never knew that. I love the F1 theme song. It's so good. You should listen to the Need for Speed The Run soundtrack because some of them literally sound like (laughs) test versions for what would become the Formula One. But yeah, it's actually... The run's one of those weird games, I think, in retrospective, if people were to go back and play, would actually 
appreciate a bit more because at the time it felt very unambitious and incredibly short, which is true. But it was it was such a focused game compared to the oh, this is a, a game about revenge and not wasting any time Well, you can also just drive about randomly in the middle of a story mission and have no repercussions. <laughs> <laughs> so like, the run kind of nails the feel better than Payback could have hoped to do and um, Need for Speed 2015 as well, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that Need for Speed it just, like, chases whatever vision of, of car culture ultimately will make them the most money at any given time which I mean yes it's a business so that makes sense but it also kind of makes it seem like the series doesn't have a soul because it just constantly reflects just whatever's out there but I think that's how you ended up getting games like uh, V-Rally being licensed as a Need for Speed title because in the late 90s rally games were everywhere and like not like today where there are a lot of rally games but nobody really plays them like back then people were playing them so <laughs> so um, so it's a little bit different but I, I remember, well, the, the other weird thing about V-Rally in the States is that the first one was a Need for Speed title. The second one, I think, was also a Need for Speed title, but only on the PlayStation. And then oh, they came out with right. a Dreamcast version that did not have the Need for Speed branding. <laughs> And the weird thing about that one is that became Test Drive V-Rally. So oh. V-Rally has actually belonged to two different franchises. It, it It's so weird. Like, it just... And it's all just because Infogrames was developing it. So whoever Infogrames partnered up with to publish the game would just put their own name on it. Yeah. It's actually interesting you bring up Infogrames because they do have a history with that type of thing. There was a, a recent game on the PlayStation 1 in the UK that was named after the Max Power um, after Tuner Magazine which was mm. pretty much what you would expect, loads of riced up courses and girls with no tops on um, and that game was called Max Power but it definitely has a different name in the US I can't remember what it's called but Ooh. it was definitely called Max Power here, I'm going to look it up yeah, very let's, quickly let's find this out, this sounds very interesting this is definitely a late episode of the podcast Father that we need to get the answer to. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, it was called C3 Racing. Oh god, I've, I've never heard of that. What the hell is that? <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was expecting like Street Racing Syndicate. I wasn't expecting... Oh wow, that's weird. Yeah, C3 Racing Car Constructors Championship, but in the UK, only the UK, it was known as Max Power Racing. Well, no, you know what it was? It's because this never... Oh, God, this is weird. So, C3 Racing never came out here. According to Wikipedia, in North America, the oh. game was released as TNN Motorsports Hardcore <laughs> TR. What the hell? Talking about daft racing game names, you couldn't make up how this is tied in. Now, I Jesus. played one of the TNN Motorsports games uh, on the PlayStation. It actually, like, isn't bad, one of the early ones, but I never played this one. That's weird, man. It that it's is a pretty so decent developer. Um, how do you pronounce that name? You'll be better at this than me. Yeah, what is it? Eutechnics? Yeah, it's Eutechnics. Eutechnics that's I, the one. Yeah. I used to call um, them Utechinks because I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Did you just come out a hate crime on the podcast? <laughs> uh, yeah, but, um, well, moving on. <laughs> yeah, they also made Total Driving, which was really good. I wonder if that had a different name. The US. Total Driving. Uh... Yeah, PlayStation well. 1. Oh, it's okay, it's in the list of all of their titles on Wikipedia and, and Oh, no, Grand I can't. 
Car and Driver presents Grand Tour Oh, Racing. that game. Yeah. <laughs> so that one I played. That one I played. Um, when I was really, I, I must have been like four or five years old. But I played that game. I mean, I, again, I can't remember anything about it. I was really young. But uh, also, I I will never forget uh, Big Mother Truckers because I didn't get that joke until I was like, you know, like a teenager. And I just didn't understand like why is it called Big Mother Truckers. Um, and I mean, there it is, man. Test drive them all. It's right there. It's oh, right there. We're getting there. Now, now that was, uh, but that was only you. Technics did the PlayStation version of that, and then I, uh, Infogrames Melbourne House did the ones that's actually good. But that, that I think will be our next episode. So we'll finally get that test drive pod I've been wanting to have for so long. That game is so good. I'm looking forward. To- Real quick, remember uh, Ferrari Challenge Trofeo Pirelli? Yes, yes. Yeah. That, that game was okay in the world before Gran Turismo 5. But then Gran Turismo pl- 5 wasn't very good either, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always remember it had that very strange chase cab where, like, it was, like, halfway up the car's, like, back, mir- uh, back window. So it was, like, a kind of... Almost as if you're in the cockpit, but not. It was very awkward to play with. But one of the reasons I did enjoy that game is because it supported custom soundtracks on the PlayStation 3. So you could just store songs on your hard drive and then put it in a playlist and you could just listen to it as you drive, which was pretty cool at the time. That game had a fantastic um, track roster. It had like tracks that you don't see very often. Like uh, There's this awesome one called Montreblanc, although I think it has a different name now, but in Canada uh, is where that track is, and it's really good. And just like all these weird locations that like only Ferrari challenge like corresponding series around the world would ever go to. So you won't get them in like, you know, your, your Gran Turismo's and your Forza's and your F1's and what have you. So yeah, that was a interesting game. And then they re-released his supercar challenge. And I just like this, uh, you know, thing we've, this basically hour of just like, let's just talk about random ass games (laughs) that we haven't talked about in 10 years. Yeah, that, that's kind of where we've ended up for the first podcast of 2019. So, um, I mean, I think this is one of the reasons we enjoy doing this podcast because we've just ended up talking about completely random titles that we we wouldn't have decided to bring up any other time. This came from discussing the Madbox. Um, and look where we are. But yeah, I guess that kind of brings it to a look wrap, forward. doesn't it? Yeah, I, I will just say look forward to a tier list of what's better, C3 Racing, Car and Driver, Grand Tour, um, or the Group S Challenge. One episode that should be. <laughs> uh, Alright, well this was a lot of fun. And yeah, this has been Time Extend, and uh, I'm Adam Ismail. You can find me on Twitter at Pioneer Spine. Uh, Brendan is Ed Balls. I just I didn't mean to steal your spot. I just wanted to say Ed Balls because it's hilarious. With four S's. But with the four S's, right? And Happy New Year, people! <laughs> Belated Happy New Year, and we'll see you on the next one.